As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome again to another edition of Second Chance Coaching. As always, it is my pleasure to join you on another week of your reentry journey from whichever corner of the world you're listening from. We always remain humbled and excited that you decided to spend a part of your week with us, and we continue to be excited that you come back and join us every single week. You know, this past week in the United States of America, um, we kind of mark it as the unofficial start to the summer season uh, with the celebration of Memorial Day weekend, which we celebrated this past weekend. In the United States, you know, we celebrate the last week of May as Memorial Day, as a commemoration to the numerous servicemen and women who made the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. In addition, the last Sunday of May in many Caribbean cultures is the recognition of Mother's Day. So it's Caribbean Mother's Day. So to all the Caribbean mothers, and of course, to my mother and grandmothers in heaven, I wish you a happy Mother's Day. I love you all. Also, Also, um, something that may not be as uh, joyful to talk about, on Memorial Day, you might have also saw the disturbing news in which there was a shooting at Hollywood Beach, Florida, in which nine people were injured. You know, those who know me, and I certainly have shared it on this podcast, that Hollywood Beach is a frequent destination for me to hang out, have peace, and just enjoy the sand and beach atmosphere here in South Florida. There were so many of you who took the time to reach out to me to confirm that I was that I was either not at the beach or I was safe. I want to thank you and want to take the time to thank you so much for that outreach and that concern. I happen to not go to the beach on Memorial Day, but I will let you know I will not be afraid to go to the beach in the future. However, um, let me just share something before I get to just not being afraid. You know, I'm grateful that at this time, there were no reports of anyone losing their lives. And of the nine people who were injured, four, four people were children between the ages of one year old. There was a one-year-old child. So there were four children between the ages of one and 17 years old. And five adults were also injured, and they were between the ages of 25 and 65. So like I, as I indicated, Hollywood Beach, Florida, if you ever come down here, if you've ever been down here, I certainly will tell you it's, it is still an enjoyable place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. That's enjoyed by me and so many people that live down here and people who visit here. But I will let you know, I don't think myself, anyone who enjoys it down here, and I certainly can speak for myself also, that I will not let anyone threaten 
or steal my ability to enjoy a place of peace and relaxation for me. And I'm quite sure those who enjoy Hollywood Beach feel the exact same way. However, I just know it may not be popular to say this because quite honestly, we just love our guns so much here in the United States. But I really got to say this and just say, <clears throat> what the hell already? Come on, what the hell already? How many people, how many more people must be hurt? How many people have to be killed? How many more public mass shootings must we endure? How many school shootings? How many shootings? How many of us parents have to bury our children? Let me say that again. How many of us parents have to bury our children? Because the access to having firearms is so much more valuable than the lives of those we love. How many? For real, for real. How many? So somebody please tell me how many. Because maybe I'm not smart enough to come up with a solution. But I think I'm aware that we have a problem. And thoughts and prayers just don't do enough to solve the problem. Remember, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And right now, we're just not helping ourselves. And once again, let me reiterate, I, and I know many people feel the same way I do, I will not be afraid to go to the beach any longer. I will never be afraid to go to the beach. And people with terrorist thoughts and intentions will not rob me of what I get out of going to the beach or going anywhere that I choose to go and plead, that I choose to go and enjoy myself or be somewhere in public. You know, um, Second Chance family, thank you for allowing me to get that off my chest. You know, I didn't want to go off on too much of a tangent. I really appreciate that. I just really get aggravated and angry that we in the United States just choose to treat guns as sacred cows. And that clumsily transitions us to our discussion this week. What is a sacred cow? A sacred cow, according to Webster's Dictionary, is an idea, custom, or institution held and held unreasonably to be above criticism. This week, I want to review a chapter from the book called Killing Sacred Cows, Overcoming Financial Myths That Are Destroying Your Prosperity by Garrett Gunderson. The book is a valuable read for you in the reentry journey, but it's but really it could be it, it its value could be found by anyone in their life's journey. Killing Sacred Cows is a masterful, easy read, which breaks down the question, the simple question. What if everything you thought you knew to be true about money and finances was false? How soon would you want to find out? And what would you do about it? Now, this week's podcast is not a Dave Ramsey or financial expert class. Although, I highly recommend Dave Ramsey. Maybe we'll do a chapter review from the Total Money Makeover at some point in the future. But like many of you, I'm learning the fundamental rules of financial dynamics every day, as well as some of the legal quote-unquote cheat codes to optimize my reentry journey. And hopefully I can share some to optimize your reentry journey, especially with as far as at the age that I'm at right now, my goal is to be blessed and to bask in retirement. Now, for today, the, for the for the purposes of today's podcast, I'll be reviewing just one of the chapters from Killing Sacred Cows. Although the whole book is an incredible read, 
Today, we'll be reviewing chapter one, which covers the first myth, and that is the finite pie. So let's talk about what finite means first. Webster's Dictionary defines finite as having limits or bounds. And in this book, pie is utilized as a metaphor for resources rather than food which is available to eat. In myth one, the finite pie, the myth which is outlined is that all resources are scarce and limited. If you want something for yourself, you'll have to take it from somebody else. The chapter, however, indicates that the reality is that there's enough for everyone and we could always create more. We could prosper with, other, we could prosper with others, just not at their expense. When you're going to school, like, let's think about this. You could prosper, you could prosper, though not at the expense of others. But let's think about that. Let's think about this when you was a student in school growing up. When you was in school, for the most part, I would say for the most part, all of us would try to get good grades. But when you, but if you were trying to get good grades, that didn't prevent you, that didn't prevent someone else from getting good grades or getting A's. Because, you know, if someone does well, it doesn't stop you from getting an A. There's not a limit on the number of A's one gets. The whole class could get A's. Thus the, thus, the pie in that example is not finite. As a teacher, when I teach classes, I've had classes where everybody in the class has gotten A's. So one person getting an A is not a penalty or it's not held against someone else who might not have gotten an A. So everybody could get an A, as long as they do the work. But like I said, today... We will not specifically talk about finances, but we are talking about opportunities. You know, working together can really bring out the scarcity mindset as it, well, let's put it this way. Like I said, today we're not specifically talking about finances. We're talking about opportunities and, you know, and working together. But the scarcity mindset really could come out when you're working, when you're working amongst people, because that's based in fear. So the scarcity mindset, according to the killing with killing sacred cows, basically says that what I have, I could lose it. So I have to make sure that I cancel you out, that I eliminate you as a problem before you come and threaten to take what it is that I have. Now, as a student in school, especially when I was in graduate school, we would lift each other up in abundance. And when it's clicking, you know, when we got everything going, you know, you got your research done, I got my research done, I got my paper done, I got my discussion done, we were clicking, we were all doing well. You know, on my, but, but I will tell you, in my experience working on the other side of school, as a professional in school, especially student services professionals who are trying to help students, it has been so many people trying to undercut each other that it basically became gladiator school. That's sad to say. You know, during one of my administrative leadership experiences, I truly saw how the scarcity mindset and this win-lose mentality became a dominant characteristic of the of, of our organizational culture in that division. And to this day, in that circle, in that division, it still is that way. The myth of the finite pie as it relates to the scarcity mindset really pits us against one another rather than working together to lift each other up. You know, when I was a student services associate dean, that infectious mentality as far as uh, the scarcity mindset was dominant in one to two bad apples. And while it was known throughout the division, all the way at the top of the division, it was a behavior which was never corrected. So in my opinion, 
what one allows to take place, it's, it's either endorsed, encouraged, and in a lot of cases, rewarded behavior. One of the many challenges I had as an associate dean, for example, was working with a faculty counselor who did not want to take on a regular caseload like everyone else, did not want to work the normal work hours set forth by the division, and wanted his job to solely service a very small segment of the student population. This faculty issue took this issue to other employees across the college and created such a rancor in the division that even when he took his complaints to the top of division, who, by the way, took the complaints to the top of the, the top of the division, who, by the way, those are the policy, the policies I was enforcing was coming from the top of the division. And when he went there, his, his craziness was welcomed. I was not supported. Um, his insubordination was welcomed. The craziness was welcomed. I mean, I was just surprised. But in response to that, the associate dean, the associate deans that I, that I worked with at the time collectively, or so I thought, um, was working collectively, decided to have an open air meeting to establish with this faculty counselor and other colleagues that he had brought into the mix to to really establish and bring home these uni uniform procedures and put and really put an end to the insubordination once and for all. Now, the day of the meeting comes. Faculty counselors there, a bunch of us are there, and the faculty counselor is speaking and speaking about me as if I'm a third person not in the room, just really talking about me insignificantly and just trying to marginalize me in every step of the way. And now, when it was my turn to talk, I mean, I let him talk. I let him get what he wanted to say off his chest. But it was not. My, but when it was my turn to talk, I responded appropriately and made sure that I said what I had to say to him and to all any to any and all other parties involved. At the end of the day, let's just say it was a pretty high spirited and intense discussion. At the end of the meeting, one of the bad apple associate deans, um, you know, interjected and talked since the faculty council was retiring within a few months. Would it be would a solution to the situation like completely this bad apple associate dean? went completely, you know, off the script and offered this faculty counselor that would a solution just be that he would not take on a caseload and just support other advisors and their caseloads rather than him taking on the work, the equal work that everybody else would be doing. The faculty counselor, oh, quickly and graciously accepted that offer. The meeting ended and I was left with complete egg on my face. Not being able, you know, egg on my face to not being able to have authority over my own unit, while a colleague of mine who's supposed to have my back looks like a superhero and then it makes me look like the bad guy. Once again, I'm, I am having to enforce rules that the other, that the other associate deans and deans felt was, felt was the law of the land, but then we completely go off script. The problem was there, the problem there that, that was there was that I believe I was the only foot soldier enforcing the law of the land. And I sh and really, at the end of the day, I should have seen that one coming because that bad apple, Associate Dean, had a, really bad, had a reputation of being a complete bad apple. But he was just trying to make himself look better, solve the problem, and making sure he looked good at my expense. He, wants, he, wants to be, he wanted to be promoted at any, at any cost. Now, when that meeting concluded, and it was just us as a leadership team in that room, I 
vociferously expressed my displeasure over the lack of support and unity among the associate deans. And that too was a very heated and spirited conversation, mostly coming from me, letting him know that I didn't appreciate him going off a script like that. So even while I was talking to him and letting him know how I was feeling and letting everyone know in that room how I was feeling, the person who I'll call just called the bad apple was just looking at me with a blank look. And he and I could tell you he couldn't have cared less how I felt. He achieved his goal. And at the end of the day, I was really mad madder at myself that I didn't see that that his Machiavellian move coming that was that it was coming that it was coming a mile away at the end of the day he wanted to see me have less so he could look better so he could be promoted funny enough he still hasn't been promoted he's still in the same position that he that he was in those years ago but like in the chapter the finite pie he was truly manifesting the scarcity mindset and that scarcity mindset is exhibited in this list from page 10 of chapter one in killing sacred cows the list talks about finances for the most part, which is highly highly applicable. But remember, think about it how, ap how applicable it could be in any aspect of life. Remember, chapter one, page 10 of Killing Sacred Cows tells us that you know that you are in scarcity when the, when the following nine things are present. Number one, your friend at work gets a promotion and you find yourself feeling jealous rather than happy for them. Number two, you see a person driving an expensive car and find yourself feeling resentful or judging them. Number three, you make, purchases, you make purchases on credit and live beyond your means, which means you're dissatisfied with what you have. Number four, you postpone important purchases that would add dramatic value to your life, even when you have the money to make them because you can't stand to, part, to be apart from your cash. Number five. When your spouse or child asks you to buy something, more often than not, your immediate response is that we can't afford it or you can't afford it. Number six, you find yourself frequently wishing for a better life, yet you think that it would be futile to strive for something better. There's never enough time or money to do the things that you want to do. Number seven, you have ideas about how to make your life better, like switching careers or starting your own business, but you're afraid to put them into action. Number eight, you keep your money in quote-unquote safe investments like CDs and money market accounts because you fear losing it. Number nine, you pick the riskiest investments, cross your fingers, and hope for high returns, thinking that gambling and luck is your best path to wealth. My mindset and the way in which I try to live as an example is that there is always plenty for everybody. However, when scarcity thinking folks continue to surround you, especially the workplace, it could erode one's confidence as you're always fighting nasty co-workers and always fighting circumstances and really going upstream. And thank goodness today, I could say thank goodness today, I am in so much of a better and supportive work environment that I just love and embrace so much. I, I, I love being there at work. It just feels light. As as and 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 compared to all of that, the division that I left, from what I hear, is still very nasty and very cutthroat to this very day. When I made the decision to to look at leaving that division, I made the decision to replace scarcity with abundance. 
So when you're at those crossroads and you're probably in those in those same places where you say, you listen, I need to do something different and you're not afraid of taking that chance, you're replacing scarcity with abundance. That's what it's telling us in Killing Sacred Cows. In my case, I look for a better environment, a fresh start initiative, a purpose-driven focus, seeking that abundance because in abundance, as shared with us in the literature, everyone could win. And each of us have our own individual desires satisfied without harming other people. And, you know, in the field of higher education, particularly in the field of higher education, which may not be unique, but of course, but this is the field that I know, you know, you got to move out of the institution that you're in or relocate to different areas of the country if you're trying to get to really high level organizational levels, such as being a president or a provost or a senior vice president, a chancellor, and in some cases, even the position of a dean. And for many reasons, people just don't want to relocate. Some of those reasons are family reasons, which I get. It was for family reasons I didn't locate. I didn't relocate when I first received my doctoral degree. I wanted my mother to relocate with me for a possible opportunity in California. And she just did not want to leave Florida. She didn't want to be that far away. So I decided to stay with her as I didn't want to leave her. I mean, she wasn't sick at the time when I graduated with my doctorate, but I felt like she was getting to the age where, you know, being by herself is not something I wanted for her. I snapped out of scarcity and fear, and I was willing to move, but I didn't want to leave mom. So I understand what family reasons why people don't want to do that. Now, at this stage of my life where, you know, that's not a, that mom's not a consideration any longer when it comes to that, you know, and there's no small kids anymore that I'm raising, I may not necessarily look to leave Florida, but I'm always looking to elevate with different projects, different ventures. And despite sometimes I'm being told that I take on more than I should, I get that. I know I do that. Like in Killing Sacred Cow shares with us, I'm always looking, I'm always looking to move from scarcity into abundance, as it states in chapter one, page 22. Now, chapter one, page 22, it indicates, or the literature indicates, you know you're in abundance when the following is present. But once again, they're making a lot of references to finances, but this is applicable in all areas of your life. So number one, your primary focus in life is to is is to is your primary focus in life is to live serve and bless the life lives of others look at that your primary focus in life is to live serve and bless the lives of others number two you feel happy when others succeed even those who may be viewed as your competition and you never feel threatened by others number three you feel satisfied joyful and calm number four the purchase you make, the purchases you, you make align with your core values. Number five, your investments are wise. You're not naive, nor are you overly skeptical. You perform wise, patient research and make, make an educated decision. Number six, rather than saying I can't afford it, you ask how can I afford it? Number seven, you consistently overcome fear through faith and courage to pursue your dreams and a career that aligns with your passion and purpose. Number eight, you're able to work with others to achieve things that you couldn't do alone. Number nine, you take full responsibility for your life and your work and use your internal strength to overcome all challenges and transcend external circumstances. 
Think about that. This is great. Think about those nine things we just rattled off. This abundance mindset is what Second Chance Coaching was built on. It's why I pursued my doctorate degree eight years ago. It's why I just celebrated my five-year anniversary of getting my doctorate. It is why when it is why that when I was denied for a full-time teaching position the first time, I studied and, and got my credentialing in another academic area to move in my career and not let anyone say that this is where I am and this is where I'll stay. I was not going to let that happen. Working toward a, towards an abundance mindset is not something that happens on automatic pilot. This is a daily decision I make every day to do. And this is a decision you can make every day and achieve daily by taking the steps to kill those sacred cows, to optimize your living and your life. As I share with you that seeking abundance is a daily decision, it's something that I do daily and it's something that you can do daily as well. And, but still the biggest the biggest enemy is the biggest the biggest enemy is the fear the fear of facing enemies and bad apples who seem to have they seem to have favor like like nothing bad happens to them it makes you it always makes you feel like you're swimming upstream but if you want to achieve abundance if i want to achieve abundance i just have to put on those swim trunks and swim upstream as best as i can and always choose abundance all the time, every day. And in seeking the abundance mindset, there's, an, there's additional research which shares with us nine ways, nine ways to handle those bad apples, to handle those coworkers who are petty, live in scarcity, and just, just have no good intentions. And really, simply, they're just trying to block your abundance. Number one, maintain your focus. Do not, do not let them draw your attention away from doing your best job. Number two, cultivate relationships with people who are positive. Work to maintain strong professional relationships with colleagues that will help mute the effectiveness of bad apples because if the bad apples are, or the bad apples acting up by themselves, no one's gonna feed into that, feed into that fear, no matter what. Number three, convert. Try through your behavior to, if you, if you can, to convince that bad apple to move from scarcity to abundance in their mindset. Number four, defend yourself. Address the issues of contention head on and be direct about your thoughts and your feelings and what it is that you will, will or will not tolerate. Number five, evaluate culture. What is the organizational culture mindset? Is it scarcity or abundance? If this is not where you want to be, do not be afraid and just move, just leave. Number six, ignore the behavior. If bad apples are not directly affecting what you do, just ignore them. A fire cannot rage unless oxygen is feeding it, so don't feed them any more oxygen. Number seven, ask for clarification. When bad apples are overly critical, do not succumb to their intimidation. Ask them calmly and professionally, to have them clarify and even defend their positions. Make them provide substance behind their style of barking. Number eight, remain confident in your abilities. There's a reason why you are where you are. There's a reason why you were promoted to where you are. Not because you're worthy, you're able, and you're capable. Do not let anyone take that from you no matter what. Remember, you are making that daily decision to live in abundance. Number nine, 
identify the reason for the action. Find out why the bad apple is acting in the way in which they're acting. Sometimes knowing their motivations, when you ask for clarification like we did in step seven, it could, it could just eliminate the reasons real or imagined in their mind as to why the bad apple chooses to be a bad apple. You know, with all that said, we said a lot today about this chapter and about some stories that are associated with this chapter. But my advice is definitely go through the abundance minds, go through the abundance mindset steps every day and read, and I cannot recommend it highly enough, read Killing Sacred Cows by Garrett Gunderson. For me, I have not finished it as of yet, but I'm excited to read further myths in the book, such as financial security, money is power, and a penny saved is a penny earned. Those are myths. I'm wondering what they're going to talk about. A myth of financial security, a myth of money is power, the myth of a penny saved, saved is a penny earned. I am so excited to read more about these myths, according to Gunderson. And why should we kill them, or what are the realities related to those myths? I encourage you to read the book as I'll continue reading it as well. Remember, every day, make the decision to uplift your mindset. Go from scarcity to abundance in your personal life, in your professional life, and in your reentry journey. Say yes to abundance every single day. And just in making that decision, you've already started on the right path. Thank you, everyone, as always, for sharing your time with me. I really enjoyed it. As always this week, um, it's always welcome and appreciated that you're here with us. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.